0: So, Father Ding and I were classmates back at the Catholic University of America, and we took a number of philosophy classes together. And even back then, I was roping him into uh, doing missionary work for me like this. And I would send him to my wife's school and my wife's parish. You know, she was working as a religious ed director. He was always very, very obliging. So, when I contacted him in the beginning of the semester and I said, hey, I think the students would like listening to you, he said, let's find a date. I'll do it. And so, I'm uh, very, very grateful uh, for Father Damien uh, to uh, come out here and share a word of hope with us. And so, Father Damien Farrant, tonight will be speaking uh, on a very uh, powerful topic tonight, our sin, forgiveness in our lives, and the title of his talk is, Nothing Scares Jesus. And if you would, please welcome Father Damien
1: Thank you very much. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for this wonderful day. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us. I ask you, Father, to send your Spirit upon me and be a good priest, good preacher, good teacher, good prophet. Let me be your instrument. Don't let me get in the way of anything you want to do or say this evening. And I also ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon the young people gathered here this night. Open in their eyes, their ears, their hearts, their minds, their entire being, to your will, to your Son, Jesus, so that this may be truly a night of transformation, a night of renewal, a night of conversion, a night that we may all grow closer to you and your church. We pray this all through the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Can I ask you to stand for the Gospel, please? The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the territory of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs, who had an unclean spirit, met him. The man had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain In fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles smashed and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the hillsides, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He had been saying to him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. He asked him, What is your name? He replied, Legion is my name. There are many of us. And he pleaded earnestly with him not to drive him away from that territory. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside. And they pleaded with him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. And he let them... And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank into the sea where they were drowned. The swine herds ran away and reported the incident in the town and throughout the countryside. And people came out to see what had happened. As they approached Jesus, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed the incident explained to them what had happened to the possessed man and to the swine. Then they began to beg him to leave their district. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed pleaded to remain with him, but he would not permit him, but told him instead, Go home to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Then the man went off and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what the Lord Jesus had done for him. And all were amazed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Catholic tradition, this particular Gospel passage is only read once during the entire liturgical year. And it's on a Monday during ordinary time during daily Mass. We don't hear it on the weekend uh, in the Catholic Church. And it's a pretty um, spooky gospel passage. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. I'm a big fan of Flannery O'Connor. She is an author from the last century. And I always think this is a Flannery O'Connor-esque story because of how odd and spooky it is. And so what I want to do tonight is break it down because, of course, any time we engage scripture, yeah, this story is 2,000 years old, but at the same time, the word of God is alive. And so that means that whatever's going on here is somehow going on in your heart, in my heart, in your life, and my life, somehow, right? So let's see how that may be taking place. All right, let's start here. First of all, this is Mark's Gospel. It's the fifth chapter. This is the very first time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus leaves. Let's say this is the Sea of Galilee, the altar here. And this is Jerusalem and Bethany over on this side, right? And Bethlehem are over in this area. So this is the Sea of Galilee. This is the very first time Jesus leaves is going across the sea to the land of the Gerasenes over here, which is pagan country. They don't believe in the one true God. They don't worship the one true God. And even um, the geography of the land is kind of spooky and dark. It's jagged cliffs. It's not like beaches over here, okay? So let's keep that in mind. Jesus is leaving the place where the Jews worship, and he's going across here where the demons have their way. It's a pretty dark place, all right? First time he does it in the gospel. When he got out of the boat. Now he went over there with his disciples And verse two, when he got out of the boat. So we don't hear if the other disciples got out of the boat. They probably did, but maybe they were too spooked and they stayed back. But Jesus got out of the boat and at once a man from the tombs who had an unclean spirit met him. All right. What was this man's name? Did anyone pick it up? Legion is the name of the demon. It's a trick question. He didn't have a name. So when you pray with the scriptures, and you come across with someone who doesn't have a name, guess who that is? It's you. That's me. Right? So, as we go through this, let's say, gosh, how do I relate to this man? Is this man me? And if it is me, then what does Jesus want to do for me? Right? All right. When he got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs, who had an unclean spirit met him, What do you think of when you think of tombs, when you hear tombs? What comes to mind? Dead people. Death, right. Cemetery, graveyard. That's where this guy was living. In the tombs, where there's darkness, where his friends then wouldn't be his family. They would be the dead. And we'll hear about why that is in a moment. This guy's got it pretty bad, by the way. And he had an unclean spirit. Now, what could this unclean spirit be? There's a few ways we could talk about it. Um, I was teaching Dr. Ortiz's class. And we were talking about sin, you know, and the devil. And what he wants to do is pull us away from God, right? And so these demons, what they want to do is, is, is keep us in a place that's away from God, right? Um, sin, demon, or sometimes uh, a, way, a way that we could talk about this would be as an addiction, right? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, within my diocese is Akron, Ohio, and Akron is where the 12-step program developed, you know, for Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and then it branched into NA and SA and all that. Um, Like an addiction, uh, sin has power over us that we can't shake on our own. We need somebody to help us from it, right? So let's keep that in mind as we go through. The man had been dwelling among the tombs. So he wasn't living in a college dorm, he wasn't living in a condo, he wasn't living in a house, he wasn't living in an apartment. I teach at a seminary, he wasn't living there either. His, his, this is where he lived, this is where he hung out. It's a miserable place to be. His, his, his neighbors are graves and other people who are dead and he might as well be dead if we read this correctly. So the man had been dwelling among the tombs and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. And why might that be? What might be going on here? For some reason, they had to restrain this guy because either he was hurting himself or he was hurting others. And to keep him from harming himself and to keep him from harming others, he had to be pulled out of community and put here isolated with the dead. And if you start to think, he's saying, "My like, gosh, that sounds like what sin does to us. Right? Sin breaks us apart from our relationship with God and others, and we wind up being isolated in a pretty dark place. St. Augustine says that sin turns us in on ourselves, right? We're, we're no longer where we need to be with God and others, and it turns us in on ourselves. So that's where this guy is. And remember, he's you and he's me. He'd been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. Think of the addict who says, you know what, um, I'm, I'm not going out with the guys tonight. I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore. I know that I do that too much and I can never control myself when I do. So I'm not doing it. I'm going to turn my phone off and I'm not going to, no one's going to call me and I'll be fine. And then later on, you know, hey, come on, we're going out. Ah, all right, I'm going. And you go. Or maybe it's the the person who says, I, I, I just can't stop judging people and I can't stop gossiping. And look at her. Did you see what she did? And I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm, I'm just going to not say anything. And then... Uh, and then you start talking, right? That sort of thing is happening here. He, whatever, his, whatever his sin was, whatever his demon, whatever his addiction is, he can't help himself. In fact, it gets worse. He had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles smashed, no one was strong enough to subdue him. They say 50% of uh, males between 18 and 34 have an addiction to internet pornography. If that's the case, this sort of thing has frequently been bound with shackles and chains. All right, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to turn my computer off. I'm going to put a picture here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put across here a picture of Jesus. Something to keep me away. But I just, I can't help myself but do this sort of thing. We keep going back to those things that we know we shouldn't do and we can't help ourselves. Verse 5, night and day. What does night and day mean? We hear someone say night and day. All the time, all right? So watch what happens next, because this is scary, I think. Night and day, among the tombs, that's where he lived, that was his residence, and on the hillsides, he was always crying out, right? Ah! It's spooky. You're like, Father, what would you do that for? I knew that because this is why. People would have known who this guy was in this cemetery. There's that crazy guy who's always crying out. And so teenagers would come by, maybe, and, hey, let's go see the crazy guy this night, you know? So they go and they look at him, and not as a person, but as an object, as an object of entertainment. Oh, yeah, that guy. And the parents would say, don't go near him. People knew who he was. He's crying out in the hillsides. What else is he doing? Bruising himself with stones. You can say, oh, come on, 2,000 years ago, people bruised themselves with stones. I work with a lot of teenagers and young adults, and I still know people who bruise themselves, maybe not with stones, but they cut their arms, maybe their thighs, so no one sees it. I know people who drink too much, maybe who starve themselves or make themselves throw up and harm themselves because they're in such a bad way and things are so difficult that at least that gives a little bit of relief. And perhaps that's what this guy was going through, too. At least some bruising with stones makes me feel good for a moment. He's in a bad way. He's you and he's me. He's the human race. All right. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance. Now this is a big deal, right? Because this is where people worshipped the true God. This is where the chosen people were. Jesus has entered into a land that's dark, that's spooky, that's scary, where death has its way, demons has, have their way, and possession has its way. And look at what Jesus is doing. He doesn't stand back and say, I'm not going there. Because remember, that's you and that's me. So guess where he wants to be? Wherever you and, wherever you and I are, right? So here he comes, entering into our lives. Where was Jesus born, by the way? What city? What city? Bethlehem. And where in Bethlehem was he born? In a what? He was placed in a manger, which is in a bigger housing called a a stable. And what's a stable, basically? A barn, yeah. Did you ever think to yourself, if, if the Son of God, Jesus Christ, true God, true man, the Alpha, the Omega, the Master of the universe, is going to become one with us, wouldn't it make more sense for him to be born in a castle that's protected by a big moat and anything that's bad and dirty so that it would be fitting for him or, you know, a sterile hospital something other than a a barn where animals dwell and smells and it's chaotic and it's messy. But where does Jesus want to be? Right where things are messy and chaotic and difficult. Right where our hearts hurt. Right where we're in pain. Right where we're struggling with addiction. Right where we're struggling with sin and we feel like we've got demons on our back. And we say, Lord, this is where I am. And guess what? Jesus says, I know. And I'm coming. I'm coming to save. So he wants to enter into that. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance. What does the man do? i got to get some room. Scriptures say, he ran up. And wouldn't you? Someone finally comes to visit you. You've been put off here because you might as well be dead. I mean, he's like the guy where people will say, oh, you know what, she, she's always been like that her whole life. she just, yeah, forget her. She's dead to me. Or he. I think I total jerk his whole life. I know him since grade school, Like, I forget him over there. And we can put people and just totally write them off and put them there. Maybe maybe that's not someone else, but maybe that's you. You say, gosh, I feel like I'm totally isolated. We're in this situation where we can't help ourselves, where we're hurting, where our hearts are aching, and Jesus says, I'm coming, and he enters in, and this man runs up, and he prostrates himself. He lays himself down, literally, lays his life down, because he, he wants to be changed. He wants some help. He wants a savior. But remember, he's still got this demon with him. And so what does the demon do? Crying out in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's a demon talking. Now, notice, the demon recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Son of the Most High God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. But Jesus had been saying to him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. He'd been doing this exorcism, right? And then, so he asked him his name What is your name? When I was little, if my mom or dad wanted my attention, they would say, Damian Joseph, that's my middle name, Joseph. So you get someone's name, you've got authority over them. Legion is my name, there are many of us. And the demon pleaded to stay in that territory because up until this point, the the demons had conquered this place. Sin had reigned, darkness had reigned, isolation, heartache, all that had reigned here. But now, guess what? Someone's entered in who has more power more authority, and can actually drive demons away and redeem people's lives. This is what Jesus does. He's constantly doing it throughout the scriptures. Verse 11, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside. So there's another reason we know this was not Jewish territory. Why? Because we've got pigs on the side, and those were unclean animals according to the Jews. And they pleaded with him, Send us into the swine. Let us enter them. And he let them. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, which must have been a sight, because we hear this. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank into the sea where they were drowned. Now, if you're a swine herder, these are your swine, what do you do? If this was today, you'd pull out your phone. And you'd start tweeting and hashtagging and taking video and like hashtag dead pigs and oh my gosh, and going on Facebook, right? And taking like Snapchat, ah, and look down there. And, and you would, I mean, that's what you do. You, you, you do all that, and I would do it too. And that's pretty much what these swineherds did, except they didn't have the technology that we do today, right? Verse 14, the swine herds ran away and reported the incident in the town and throughout the countryside. So they're telling everybody what happened. You remember that possessed guy? And, and then my pigs and all this went down. Yeah, all right. And people came out to see what had happened. Here's where it gets really good. Are these connected? Can I pull one up? Good, okay. All right. As they approached Jesus, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by Legion. Sitting there, descriptions first he's clothed which means that before he was either naked or he's just wearing rags and he probably looked like a wreck right but not anymore he's clothed and secondly in his right mind so here he is and people are coming up and saying wait a second aren't you that crazy guy that used to the one that we all you know made fun of the bruising of stones and the screaming out wait aren't you that aren't you him yep that's me and he smiles because he's been transformed. His life has been changed. He's been healed. He's been renewed. He's, he's met the Lord. Now, this is, a, this, is a, this is what Jesus does throughout the scriptures. So, you're deaf. What does he do? E-f-a-f-a, right? He allows you to hear. He enters into deafness. He gives hearing. You're blind, and he does spit. We just had that two weeks ago in the scriptures, right? Makes spittle. And then, before you know it, you can see. And, and you can't walk. And then he heals you. You pick up your mat, right? And you walk home. And you're dead. And he brings you back to life. Like Lazarus, you know. Jairus' daughter. And then you all can't catch any fish. And Jesus says, throw over the other side. And before you know it, you've got more fish than you know what to do with. And, and you all are starving. And Jesus takes five loaves and two fish. And before you know it, you've got more food than you know what to do with. As a matter of fact, you've got 12 wicker baskets left over. See, so you go throughout the Gospels, look at Jesus's, look at his M.O., look at his method, what is he doing? He's entering into where people are hurting. He's encountering them there, and then he's transforming deafness into hearing and blindness into seeing and, and uh, the paralytic into someone who can now leap and the dead to bringing them back to life and, the, and those who are hungry and thirsty, food and drink. He does that in himself, that's what he's able to do. So he's got this guy here, who was written off by everybody. There's no hope for this man. And this is the name of your college, right? What's the hope? The hope is that Jesus isn't afraid to enter into wherever things are dark, where they're scary, where they're spooky, where we think there's no hope for us at all, and we're done, and he can take this man and transform him into the man who sits here, who is clothed and in his right mind. He's brought him redemption. He's brought him healing right? And remember who this guy is. He's you, and he's me. So this is what Jesus wants to do for you, and this is what he wants to do for me as well. But we've got to be able to let him. Any of you C.S. Lewis fans here? Anybody? Okay, good. Um, there's a, one of my, my favorite C.S. Lewis stories. is called The Great Divorce. It actually just came through Cleveland recently as a play. Uh, the later half of the book, there's this great scene. It's a scene of, of, of purgatory. And you got this guy who's waiting to get into heaven, but he's got a problem. He's a shell of a man, so you, you could see through him pretty much, and his face is pretty gaunt. And, but he's got this big iron collar around his neck, and it's tight. And at the end of the big iron collar, he's got like, these links of a chain, so a big chain. And at the end of the chain, he's got this lizard kind of demon thing. And for this particular guy, C.S. Lewis says this is a demon of lust, but it could be anything. It could be gluttony or sloth or pride or anger, envy, whatever. But for him it's lust. And this whole, his whole life, this, this demon thing has been whispering things in his ear, telling him to think this, and he doesn't want to think it, and he thinks it, and do this, and he doesn't want to do it, and he does it. And it drives him absolutely crazy. And he's friends with the Lord, but he, the reason he is where he is is because he can't let go of this thing. So one day, the Lord sends him an angel. So this angel comes to this man. And he says, hey, buddy, I see you've got a problem over here. And he goes, oh, man, are you telling me? He said, I have this stupid demon that keeps whispering things and making me think things. I don't want to think and do things I don't want to do. I really could just get rid of him for, for already. And the, uh, the angel then goes, whoosh, pulls out this huge, huge sword, right? Super long and shiny. And he says, um, shall I slay him? And the guy's like, "Whoa, that thing's pretty big, buddy. Uh, you know, put that put that down for a second. I mean, it's it's not that bad. Sometimes he's quiet. I mean, I, I can live with. I lived with him my whole life. It's really really not that bad." The angel again with the sword. Shall I slay him for you? And the guy's like, "Eh, well, I, I don't know what my life would be like without this. So maybe." maybe just cut off a little bit of his ear, a little tail, you know, just, not, not major damage, but give him a warning shot, that sort of thing. So finally, the angel, whoosh, shall I slay him? Now at this point, the guy just starts to bawl his eyes. I was like, please, please, my whole life, this thing's been keeping me down. I can't stand it. I want it to go away. Please, please, free me. Help me, help me. So at this point, the angel takes his sword and goes, whoosh, bang! And the collar smashes and shatters and then that lizard thing falls over here and then the guy who was just a shell of a man you could see through him he falls down over here and for a moment it's just complete silence until all of a sudden this lizard demon starts to transform into the most beautiful white stallion you've ever seen it's a big old horse and it's muscular and it's a Cool morning and there's steam coming off his and like that like a horse does right so the horse starts to trot over here and then this man who was a shell of a man all of a sudden he transforms into he looks like michelangelo's david he's got the eight pack he could wash your clothes on it right he's a chiseled jaw and five o'clock shadow he looks really good you know and so he comes over and c.s lewis has this great scene where the man and the horse are staring each other down You're like, what the heck's going to happen? And the horse is like, and all of a sudden, the man jumps on the back of the horse. And he rides him all the way into heaven. See what happens? When, When we give God those things that we're holding on to, he'll take them away and he'll transform them right into our salvation. I and mean, that's what happens when we celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation or doing a night. We say here's what I'm holding on, he take it. He repackages it, sanctifies it. Here's your salvation. This guy, his demons, all those things, he runs out, lays his life down. In other words, said, "Lord, take this from me." And the Lord restores him and he makes him new. And remember, if that guy's you and that guy's me, this is what he wants to do for us, to bring us his salvation right here and right now, that extends into eternity. But there's got to be a point where we allow him to do that kind of work and not hold back and not say, no, 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 you don't understand. My world's so dark or my past is so bad or I have this history or I've struggled with this and you don't understand, Lord. That's all the devil's voice that says all that. That's not God's voice. God says, give me whatever you've got. I can handle it. I mean, that's why do you think he goes to the cross? He experiences even death itself. Alright, so these people see him, there, clothed, they're in his right mind. The next verse, and they were seized with fear. Why are they seized with fear? Because now someone has entered into this area who has more power than any of the demons there, and it's scary because Jesus has the power to change and transform lives and turn, to bring a dead man back to life, which is what he did, right? And that's what he wants to do for you, and that's what he wants to do for me. Those who witnessed the incident explained to them what had happened to the possessed man and to the swine. And they began to beg him to leave their district. And we can do that too. See, Jesus will never force his love upon us. He, he, never, he can't force us to love him or accept his love or to have a relationship or friendship with him. He, he won't do that. He won't compromise your will or mine. But he'll, he'll try everything he can to get into our hearts. But if we say, no, I don't want you here. Stay far away from me. Then he, he'll respect that. He'll respect those wishes. And so when they say, go away from here. So he was getting back into the boat. The man who had been possessed pleaded to remain with him. And wouldn't you? I mean, you're isolated from your family and your friends, your, all your, your communities, the dead, right? This is what sin looks like, by the way. And Jesus delivers him, and he says, Lord, let me go back with you. This is, you saved my life. Why, why wouldn't he want that? But what does the Lord do? The Lord would not permit him, but told him instead, go home. How good would that be? Been away from your family? Maybe, we don't know. Does he have children? Does he have a wife? Is he a son of parents? Go home to your family. Get reconnected in your community. Go home to your family and do what? And announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Go tell them about me. And this, when, once we've encountered the Lord, you, you never want to keep that to yourself. I mean, it's something, this is what love looks like. You, you receive it, and then you have to immediately give it away. You, you pour it out, and that's what the Lord asks us to do with his love, with his mercy, with his justice, with his peace, with his forgiveness. Go share it. You've received it. Now give it back. Then the man went off and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him. The Decapolis, it's a city of ten cities like down here under the sea. Not under the sea, you know what I mean, on a map. (laughs) Under the sea, yeah. So he goes back and he does that. And all were amazed. Look look how good our Lord is. He enters into people's lives where no one else will go. He heals and then he sends them on mission. He does that for this man. He did it for the man born blind. He did it for the woman at the well. He does it throughout the scriptures. And as I said at the beginning, these scriptures are alive. That means that he continues to do it today. And he longs to do it today. So may we, as we find solidarity with this man who was lost in sin, also find solidarity in this man who was delivered from it by our Lord. Amen.